Welcome back to another episode of Catch Some Z's. We are here at episode two, the anthem of success. If you know the words, please finish the song. Money is the anthem of success. That was the pause for you to fill in the blank. If you know it, if not, it's okay. Check out Lana Del Rey. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned before, our theme this season right now is money, hence our title of this episode. And it was a pretty heavy episode to kind of uh, curate, I guess. So I appreciate everyone who is listening and who's going to listen. And I'm hoping again that there's something that you can relate to. If not, it's okay. It's a story. Hopefully there's something that you can learn from this. And I just really hope you enjoy it. So put on mascara and your party dress and let's get into the show. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this season, we're going to be talking about how my relationship with money has grown and developed over the years. Um, I've said before how I would get incredibly frustrated with the fact that I wasn't able to solve the world's problems because I couldn't afford to. And it became very obvious to me that there were a lot of people in this world that had the power to make real palpable change, but simply weren't for one reason or the other. And I knew that I could do better than all of those people. And then funny enough, recently, the Twitter timeline decided to participate in discourse about the ethics of billionaires. And there was a lot of good conversation that came from that. People were asking how one person can have the same amount of wealth or more in some cases in entire countries, while people were sitting homeless or star in starvation or what have you, just like a, a few blocks over, right? So I'm going to explain why this conversation was interesting to me before I get into the story, I guess, of the hour. So when I was younger, I wanted to be very rich. Um, a lot of that also inspired by Corey Baxter. If you know, you know. So I wanted, no, I wanted excess is what it really comes down to. I wanted to live in a house that sat on a bunch of acres with a lot of rooms that I could get lost in. And I don't know if any of you had seen 50 Cent's home on MTV Cribs, but to me, his house was like an entire county. It was just so big. It was absurd. And I was like, 50 Cent, you are one person. Even if you moved your entire family in here, like, this is way too much space, but at the same time, I was really inspired. So I figured that if I wanted to achieve those things, I would have to be a filthy rich billionaire. But then I started considering the reality of what that really means. Um, <laughs> so if I can, you know, speak freely for a moment on my podcast, um, essentially, when you reach that level, you kind of 
there's not really a way for you to do that without some level of exploitation. And there may be cases um, where the exploitation is not necessarily intentional. But again, in order to achieve that much money, it has to be taken from somewhere. Like for you as an individual to get that much, it it's coming from somewhere. Oftentimes it's coming from the hands of others who need it most. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people were arguing that, you know, people who are billionaires are essentially the result of financial acumen and a can-do attitude. Um, but if that was the case, we'd probably have a lot more people who are actual billionaires and not just millionaires or also, you know, not so many people in poverty, but do, 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 do. Um, but even so, my main issue was with the people who achieved that type of money, that type of status, and then very intentionally work to keep others down. And I could dedicate an entire episode to, you know, the people who talk down on low class people or people in poverty, but they end up being the same ones who participate in the same systems that keep those very people down, even though those people are oftentimes part of the group of individuals who are trying to rise up out of that situation and transcend those social boundaries, but they can't because because <sighs> people aren't letting them. Okay, but it's not what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> so like I've said also in previous episodes, um, I'm not a fan of hypocriticism. I don't like to participate in it and I don't like when others blatantly display it. Um, and if any of you guys are aware of what's going on in the world right now with our global pandemic, um, if this is any indication of how inherently messed up everything is, you can imagine how frustrated I kind of have been and disappointed with just everything that's going on. And it's frustrating because everything is in our face. I personally find it very disrespectful. Um, but not to get away from the topic of the conversation. The point is, I'm caught with my like childhood desire to be a filthy rich billionaire. But that desire comes from me just wanting financial security but in a way that just kind of looks like me being a billionaire. Um, but make it non-exploitative. Exploit exploitative, yes. <laughs> um, so the moral of the story here is that, or rather what they want me to, what they want me to think the moral of the story is having money is not going to solve all of my problems. But I'm of the mindset where I would like to decide that for myself. Don't tell me that money is not going to solve my problems. You know, let me have it first and let me see if it can. And if not, then okay. But don't, you know, don't deny me that opportunity. I just don't think that's very fair. Um, and the example that I want to draw upon today is a story that happened a few years ago. Um, and yeah, it's it just kind of <laughs> it lends itself to, again, let me decide for myself if money is not going to solve my issues because in this particular situation, money would have 100% solved everything. So I'm going to take a quick breather because I'm going to have to you know, go in depth. Um, so I will be right back. So back when I was way more sensitive to my lack of funds... And when that lack of funds would send me spiraling emotionally, there was a particular incident in 2015. I was returning to campus to start my sophomore year. My tuition bill wasn't paid and I knew that. 
Um, but this time around, I had accepted the student loans that I hadn't accepted the year before. So I assumed that once everything was said and done, it would all be good. Um, my freshman year, my first semester was paid for entirely through scholarships. And then my spring semester was scholarships and I accepted some of my student loan payments. And I just kind of thought that fall semester would roll around and between my loan payments and the scholarships that I still had, it would be good. I did the math and everything was cool. And like, then it wasn't, <laughs> um, which is a yikes moment, but okay. Um, so I, like I said, I thought everything was good, but friends, I can assure you that it was not. Um, and while I'm obviously not the first or last person to experience that particular scenario, I was kind of baffled because I thought, you know, again, since everything was good with my loans and I was just accepting it up front, there was going to be no issue. But there I was at school, unable to move into my dorm because the funds weren't there. And I felt incredibly defeated. My mom, the angel, uh, she was determined to get me in because point blank period, she wasn't taking me back home. You know, her whole thing was you work too hard to get here and I'm not taking you back home. You, I drove you up here and I'm leaving you. Um, so she sent me down the hall. There was like a computer room where I could try and apply for some other private loans while she found the people that she needed to speak to. So we were there for like an additional hour in like the financial aid office, hallway building, whatever. Um, they told me to try the parent plus loan and that didn't work because the income on our end wasn't there. Um, Side note, friends, if you or your people that you know are trying to get money for school and you have not tried the Parent PLUS loan, which is through the government, um, try it. Even if you don't, like even if you're not approved for it, still continue with the process because the first time you apply for it, even if you get denied, you still get like a certain amount. I forget what it was. I think it was up to 5000 you get, uh, but it only works for the first time you do it. So pro tip, shout out to the Ellis's and... Um, the church folk who put me onto that but I digress um, <laughs> so we did parent plus and like it didn't work at the time whatever the case was and then folks I did what none of us want to do but we have to do anyway and it's when we descend to the seven layers of hell and go past past those gates and once you get through hell, you knock on the door of the little suburban porch that belongs to the woman named Sally Mae. I was desperate um, and I was trying to avoid that moment. So I was definitely disappointed that it only took me till my sophomore year to get there. But I did what I had to do and I filled out the application and you know what happened? Sally Mae told me no. <laughs> And it was at that point that I kind of crumbled. Like I lost all the faith that I had that day because if Sally Mae, who was like, you know, the the one, you know what I mean? Like Sally Mae goes after any and everybody. And the fact that Sally Mae didn't want me, I knew I had hit like basically rock bottom. And so once that point hit, I basically started to plan my exit strategy from my school um, I considered the timeline for what it would look like if I transferred to a local school back home. I was like, all right, you know, what what am I going to tell the people? Like, am I going to be blunt? Do I make a Facebook pay status? Like, what, what do I do? Um, but I was in my head strategizing because I was like, all right, well, this is it. But all while I'm doing this and I'm having my little dramatic moment, 
<laughs> trying to form my soliloquy. Um, uh, I would call my mom for updates and stuff and she would answer, but she was spending her time talking to the different people in the financial aid office until she found the right one. And finally she called me and told me that everything was handled and that I could move on. And at that moment, emotionally, I was just very defeated. So I wasn't, you know, jumping for joy and I wasn't necessarily even crying either. Um, I was pretty numb, but I also knew that I had to get, you know, things moving so I could move in and help her, you know, get her stuff together so she could go back home. So I asked her what happened and she was really excited. And she told me that she basically got to the man who was in charge of the whole department and, you know, told him what was going on. And he pulled up my information and told her that she seemed like a mom who was very passionate about her child, which we can attest she is she was then she still is now um and that he would give us until the end of october to come up with the balance which was about twenty eight hundred dollars so like a little bit less than that maybe um and he handed her the slip i needed to get into my dorm and she said thank you and she called me and she was super excited so here's the thing friends what was going on like in my head and what was going on just around everything um Part of why I was so frustrated was because that in the grand scheme of things, that $2,800, depending on how you look at it, is a relatively low number. Um, tuition at the time, like overall, was about like, I want to say at that point, it was like maybe fifty two or 53000 And half of it was covered by merit scholarships from the school. And the rest was a mixture between, was my financial aid between student government, um, not student, government loans, government student loans and scholarships. So the fact that, you know, we were $2,800 short, I was like, damn, you know, I felt like if we were, if we were middle class, we would at least be able to like come up with that with, if not now, like at least, you know, over the next two weeks or so. Um, but we literally had nothing. And it wasn't like we were in a position where either of us was working, where we would eventually, you know, get that amount of money in a conceivable time frame. Um, because I was doing my student jobs and at the time I'm pretty sure my mom was unemployed and if she wasn't, you know, she was making just enough to support her own bills, not, you know, not the addition of my school. So I spent basically the entire fall semester, um, having a stress cry every Sunday evening, um, as I kind of faced the economic reality of my life while also hearing the issues that my mom was facing at home and I was away at school trying to figure out how we were going to come up with like you know basically three thousand dollars while she was struggling to make her own ends meet and I felt really really guilty um and there were even days when <laughs> I would make uh cocktails mostly just orange juice in Amsterdam or whatever punch I had in Amsterdam and put them in a little tumbler and take the, take it with me to go wherever I was headed. Um, just so I could kind of distract myself, which I definitely don't recommend. Um, we'll revisit my sophomore year of college. Just, it was not a very bright time in my life. Um, we move, we move past it. We move on, but I don't recommend it. But all the while my mom and her friends were at our home church having bake sale fundraisers to raise money for my tuition and I'm incredibly blessed because the community showed up and showed out. And so a little bit about her. Um, she has always done desserts and chocolate favors um, for parties, holidays, you know, occasions, all that stuff. And so she made her treats 
and made an announcement at church was like, hey, having a bake sale for my daughter, you know, come support tuition, period, you know. And eventually, when she started, she didn't start that immediately. She did it like a little bit before my birthday, I think. And yeah, yeah. So like middle of September, beginning of October, she started doing it. And like the first weekend, she made like $500. Then the next weekend was like 700. And like it just kept increasing. And, you know, she also made a GoFundMe page. And so between the bake sales and the GoFundMe, it was like within like a two or three week period really from for our deadline that we came up with what you know we needed and she you know let me know what was good and I was able to you know cash a check or cash out the check whatever and I believe it was October 28th when I walked into that man's office and I handed him a check with the balance that was remaining and I told him thank you for you know your patience and and working with us and he's like cool glad glad it worked out and I was like so grateful one for my mom and her hard work because like you know she could have easily just not but she did because she loves me and I love her and then I was also incredibly grateful because there was a lot of people who supported me at that time um in ways that I never even expected but I still couldn't help but feeling awful because that whole time my mom was worried about me and what was going on with me up in the school and she wasn't worried about herself but I was in no position to worry about her the way she needed to be worried about because just because this roadblock was done doesn't mean that she didn't have a bunch more on her plate so it was like I couldn't even necessarily enjoy the success that we had just you know achieved because I knew that it was kind of at the expense of her own security which all this brings me back now to why money has been such a key player in my life so the good news is you know the the redemption part of this is this story took place in the fall of 2015 and now I'm telling you guys this story almost five years later and it is certainly amazing how much can change in a few years because now I currently have a full-time job that if that balance were to rise up again for something in my life, I would be able to come up with that money, you know, for the course of a few checks as long as I'm responsible and, you know, I'm strategic. Um, and I'm also in more of a place where I can worry about my mom in a way that's meaningful. And to put the cherry on top, the man who helped us those years ago is now one of my colleagues. So who to thunk, right? <laughs> Um, and I'm no longer, you know, making fake cocktails to take with me on the go because I'm sad and I'm trying to numb the pain and distract myself from reality. <sighs> now I do it because it's fun. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to take another quick break. Um, let you sit with that for a little bit. Let myself sit with that for a little bit because I haven't actually really thought about the details of that story in quite some time. So it's a little, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a sensitive topic. So I'm going to take a little minute and we'll come back and wrap up. So all in all, I am grateful to be in a position now where my quest for money is one that is internally competitive. And it's more about creating the life that I want for myself and less about desperation. I am by no means 
where I want to be. As I stated earlier, you know, what that looks like. Um, I'm still trying to define it all, but I'm certainly way better off than I was five years ago or even two years ago. And if I'm being honest, really just even one year ago. But there are still financial goals that I want to achieve. And that I have every intention of achieving. But again, I'm also in a better situation entirely to make those goals my reality. One thing that I can't, excuse me, one thing that I can say about all of this though, is that even when I would hit what I believe to be rock bottom, I still saw myself out of this funk. So like, like I, I was able to envision my future and in that future, I always saw me still living the beautiful life that I believe I deserve. My issue was I wasn't able to see the path from point A to point B. Like I didn't know how I was going to get there and that in itself was incredibly frustrating, but I never accepted that my point B was ever going to reflect my current circumstances at the time, right? So it was never like, oh, you know, I'm not able to pay my tuition. I'm never going to be in a place where I can pay my tuition. No, I always saw myself as being someone that'd be able to pay my tuition five times over if I had to. But it was just the, how do I get there from here? Um, so right now I'm at the stage in my life where I'm trying to clear out that path and see it more clearly and define it more. And those will be, again, the proverbial Z's that I do catch when I kind of have those aha moments as it relates to my life. But the point also I'm trying to make here is that I wouldn't have made it through that situation and the other situations that I will be sharing with you as we continue on with this season. I wouldn't have been able to make it had it not been for faith and having faith. My mom was the one who really held it down during those years when my faith was low and happy to say that over these last specifically these last two years I've been pulling my own weight when it comes to faith and once I got my faith back on track I was then able to view money a lot differently and I stopped looking at it as kind of like these shackles or like this this deterrent right and it's more of a resource and it's just more of something that I'm able to use and once my thinking changed around it, that's when I started to have like more monetary opportunities that started to come to me. So it, cause it's, and I acknowledge, you know, it is very easy to be like, yeah, you know, everything is cool. You know, once you're not worrying about where your next check is coming from. But for me, I had a moment of clarity at some point when I realized that if I continue to, you know, hold on to that mindset, I'm always going to be hindered by it and it's always going to have power over me. And that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm trying to have my own power and use the use the money as, as, as a resource, as an accessory, but it's not at all the requirement. And once I got that through my head, then I started getting paid. <laughs> and it's really funny how that works, isn't it? Um, you know, and it's that's. It's funny because, again, that that type of scenario, you hear about it all the time. People are saying, like, once once the object of, I guess, not the object of your desire, but once you really start, like, pressing yourself over certain things or certain people, 
that's when it becomes like super accessible to you. And it's hard to do it with something like funds because it's like, yeah, well, I'm also not trying to be homeless or sick or broke. You know what I'm saying? But I just had to have faith in the fact that everything was going to get taken care of. And once I did that, everything was taken care of. <laughs> um, so that's my story, right? Yeah, that's that. So um, before I close out, I want to remind you all that are listening, um, whatever larger than life issue or conflict you may be facing, I just want to remind you that it is temporary. Whenever you think about how much it sucks, whatever it is, I encourage you to spend the same amount of time or more picturing yourself beyond that conflict. I want you to really see yourself and like imagine what your life is like once that particular issue is already behind you and think about how happy you'll be and how content you'll be and how satisfied you'll be. And then when you're ready, when you find yourself capable, um, start actually doing things, whether it's just like a small little something or whatever you can to prepare yourself for the you at point B, the you beyond that mountain of obstacles, whatever that is, right? Imagine, you know, you have to get over that hump Start doing things that the you beyond that hump, (laughs) I'm immature, (laughs) start doing things that the you beyond that obstacle would be doing, you know? So for me, with intuition, it was, it was hard. I don't even think I was very successful, but it was, you know, in my head, I'm someone who doesn't worry about these types of things. So as I walk in my day-to-day life, I'm not going to talk about it every day as though it is something that I am worried about. I am worried about it, but I'm not going to talk about it and I'm not going to give life to it, right? So that was just a small something that I did, but it helped for six out of the seven days. And then Sundays, me and my mom would have conversations. I get sad all over again and it was a process, but it's fine. You know, the point is perseverance. Um, but you want to slowly and surely start to put your energy into walking and talking like the you that you know you can be and you don't want to give effort and support and life into the person that succumbs to all of life's challenges so what you don't want to do is be like me like I said before and drink on the job and make poor life choices because things are shitty it's not what you do because that's not helping anything all you're doing is giving in to the negativity that's surrounding you to those poor circumstances and it may feel you know good for the moment or maybe it doesn't but again it just helps distract you but a lot of times if not all the time in order to face things in order to get past it you do have to go through it um and you can't really they're not typically things that you can get around without acknowledging so what i'm trying to get at is i want you to show up for yourself in a way that only you can And the you of your dreams will be so thankful that you did. Well, that's my time for you. So until the next time we speak, the next time we meet, I just encourage you to dream on. Talk soon.